0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to Art Smart from Who Arted, your guide to quick and easy art history. We're cutting through all that art world jargon that doesn't make sense to anyone because art is for everyone. Hello and welcome to Art Smart. Before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to follow and rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. It helps others discover the show. Now, today we're going to focus on the Japanese art style, the yuki oe. In the late Edo period, Japan was relatively peaceful. The cities were economically prosperous and merchants and artisans became wealthier than in previous generations. In this time, however, Japan had a rigid class structure, so the newly wealthy urban merchants were limited. They had spending power, but not political power, so they utilized a good portion of their wealth, seeking pleasure in the entertainment districts. The merchants were the lowest rung of the social hierarchy, but everybody was welcome in the walled-off pleasure district with theaters, tea houses, geisha houses, and the like. Basically, it seems like in society they wanted to keep up appearances and make sure that in public, people were behaving appropriately, but they had a walled-off area where people could let their hair down and indulge in their vices. That was the one area of the city where people of all classes would interact. And these sorts of social conditions led to the popularity of yukioi. Yukioi artwork was popular from the 17th through the 19th centuries in Japan. The term ukiyo-e means images of the floating world. The word yukio initially referred to the Buddhist idea that life and the material world were ephemeral. It seems rather ironic that the term referring to the Buddhist philosophy of not becoming overly attached to the material world would then be used in this art that is very much about the material world. The Yukioi e images of the floating world were celebrations of the joys of life for these newly wealthy people. To understand the work, I think it's important to understand a few things about Japanese society at the time. As I said, the people of the lower class were becoming increasingly wealthy and looking to indulge. The woodblock prints the ukiyo-e period is famous for were not created by a solitary artist. The way woodblock prints were created was a publisher would commission an artist to make a design. The publisher decided the subject of the art. The artist would make the design on paper, And then it would be transferred to a wood block and the design would be carved. Each color of the design would need to be carved into a separate block of wood. Think of them like wooden stamps. Part of the trick was that they needed to line up the stamps just so in order to get the whole image to come together in the print. To do this, they would carve little notches in the block for registration marks. While the artists and woodcarvers would be paid for their work, the publisher owned the woodblock stamps. They generally would not pay artists and carvers for the number of prints, meaning that the artists needed to continually produce more works, and the publishers wanted designs that would be popular because the more copies they could sell, the more money they would make. Well, we all know what sells best. Artwork that appeals to people's desires. Artwork that was made to celebrate the activities and indulgences of the entertainment district. Early UKOE works could be quite lurid. As time went on, though, the government cracked down a bit, and prints needed to meet standards of decency. As this shift happened, the subject matter shifted more toward idyllic landscapes. Of course, some of the other popular topics would be the theater, the kabuki, performers, and things like that. But perhaps the most famous ukiyo-e print is Hokusai's Great Wave. It was created in this late stage of the ukiyo-e, where we mostly saw a lot of landscapes. He created the Great Wave off of Kanagawa as a part of a series of works, 36 Views of Mount Fuji. These were beautiful landscapes, but also, for cultural context, Mount Fuji is the tallest mountain in Japan. It's considered a sacred site in the Shinto religion. It's a symbol of the nation and has temples and shrines on and around the base of it. All of this to say, Mount Fuji was a highly recognizable and popular subject for everyone in Japan. The choice of Mount Fuji as a subject for a series of works would give a mass audience an immediate connection to the work. In this way, I think UKOE was similar to the pop art movement, which would come around 100 years later. It's also worth noting that UKOE prints were very influential on early modernists. Artists like Vincent van Gogh were big fans of what to them was a new and different art form. Japan had been a largely closed-off country until they were basically forced to open up trade with the West in the 19th century. Because ukiyo-e prints had been mass-produced, they were easy to export and sell to Europeans who went a little nuts collecting and copying the, quote, exotic art. We saw impressionists start painting these idyllic landscapes, as well as scenes of everyday life. Artists like Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec made prints with that sort of asymmetrical balance, these flat planes, and imagery of the nightlife, music, drinks, and dancers. I generally don't like to define a movement's worth in relation to other artists and movements, because UKOE was beautiful and fascinating in and of itself. That's why it took root and flourished in Japan for close to 200 years. Still, it's a testament to the greatness of artists like Hokusai to recognize that they laid the groundwork for art we appreciate today, both in Japan and around the world. UKOE art was a commercial venture focusing on the pleasures of earthly life. It sometimes took a nostalgic tone that some would argue was like Norman Rockwell with a nostalgia for a time that may never have been. But it gave people what they wanted to see. It was a delightful fantasy. In addition to giving people what they wanted to see, UKOE artists gave it to them in a new way. Prints went from one or two colors to sometimes as many as 20 colors. And these images of the floating world traveled, helping generations of artists and art lovers to see the world in a new way. Now, if I were putting together a collection of works to help someone understand UKOE, here would be my top five. I think first and foremost, I absolutely love Katsushika Hokusai's The Great Wave off of Kanagawa. It's probably his most famous woodblock print, it was made in 1831, and it was the subject of one of the very first episodes of my other podcast, Who Arted. I cringe a bit as I look back on that episode and all of the things that I did wrong, including momentarily forgetting that Edo later turned into Tokyo. But if you want to learn more about Hokusai and hear me sound a little bit foolish and nervous on mic, you can take a listen to that episode. I'll link it in the show notes. Unfortunately, a lot of these other ones I do not have episodes on yet, but a little peek into the future of some of the topics that maybe I will cover if the podcasts go on long enough. Toyo Haru made a beautiful print of the perspective pictures of places in Japan. I'm looking at a print from 1772 or so. I think these were printed for a while, but starting around 1770s, 1780s. It's wonderful to see the little bit of perspective getting into the work in in that time, but also just the color that we're seeing in there. I see a little bit of that Prussian blue that started to take root um, in, I think it was the 18th century. It started to become kind of popular as a pigment in the Japanese woodcuts around that time. A lot of their stuff, they were making um, the colors from various dyes of like natural sources, but the Prussian blue, which is absolutely one of my favorite blues, um, started to become popular, I think, in the 18th century. Harunobu's uh, print of the two lovers beneath an umbrella in the snow, it's just such a lovely image. It, It has this nice, soft color scheme that feels very mellow, and there's a stillness to it. There's a softness to it that just feels very gentle and peaceful and idyllic. Hiroshige's Bamboo Yards, um, Bridge. I think that's another one of those prints that I think it's wonderfully done. I like the asymmetrical balance, the depth to it, the range of colors that we see in there. And this is also one of those interesting ones because we we can see collections where people have put the UKOE pieces right next to Western counterparts. And you can search up... Um, Whistler did basically, his own rendition of this same work by Hiroshige. And finally, Hokusai's Peonies and Canary. Hokusai did so much wonderful work, um, and who knows of it how much was done by Katsushika Hokusai or... Looking at this peonies and canary piece, again, I see this wonderful, lovely asymmetrical balance, these organic shapes flowing across the composition, the close cropped composition, absolutely stunning. And it's the kind of style, the approach, to drawing and composition that I see echoes of in other movements throughout history. I mean, if you told me this were an Art Nouveau artist, I would totally believe it. Those are just a handful of artworks that I would pull out to give a little bit of a representative sampling of the diverse works that we see from the UKOA period. What are your favorites? Share your favorite UKOA artworks on social media at WhoArtedPodcast. And once again, if you're enjoying the show, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a difference. ArtSmart is an airwave media podcast. If you enjoyed this episode please do me a favor leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app if you'd like to learn more check out my other podcast who arted or go to the website artsmartpodcast.com for more free resources